Hi, welcome to the Business Class ESL Breakroom. We're a company of passionate language trainers and coaches. We're here to share ideas, to improve our skills, and strengthen the training community. Come in for some inspiration, leave with tips to apply to your sessions today. I'm so excited today because we've got James Fetterplace here with us, and we are going to have a a super conversation, I'm sure, about the intersection of theater and language training. So this is a very unique concept to my mind. Um, Jim and I go way back. We taught together in Frankfurt, Germany, and he became my boss subsequently. So Jim Fetter plays. So James, do you prefer James? Jim, that's preferable. Jim? Yeah. Jim, okay. Jim has... Uh, quite a unique background. He self-describes as operating in multiple related fields, combining business, theater, language, and education. So I think that's kind of a dream come true for a language trainer. Um, he studied at Goethe University um, linguistics and applied linguistics at Leicester University. Leicester, Leicester. Leicester. Mm -hmm. Sorry, in the UK, right? So along with um, a degree in acting and, and directing from Illinois Wesleyan University in the U.S. So you certainly have a lot of experience and knowledge to back it up um, in all of these fields. So what we invited you here today to do is just to talk to us a little bit about your experience as a language trainer and how the theater has informed your experience training mm -hmm. would that be a good starting place that is i agree i think i can mention or i would look at it this way my theater on the theater side it's more my experience as a director which informs the teaching element as a teacher my experience as an actor which informs the my understanding of what it means to be a learner Mm -hmm. I also have, and as you you know, as you can imagine from my studies, I have, my goodness, going back to thirteen, I have thirty plus years. Let's not say how many exactly, of language learning as well, and I think that's very important as a teacher to know what it feels like for students to learn a language, to be able to understand, especially how awkward and embarrassing it can be to be an adult who's going to have to make mistakes and say the wrong thing, slip up. Um, because, I, I mean, we talked a little bit earlier off recording about how many students will lack the confidence mm -hmm. that will really serve them in learning a foreign language, English or whatever it is. And uh, I'm just going to say right now, I think English is easier to learn than French, but that's a personal opinion. <laughs> Um, pardon me. <clears throat> I now, when I'm working with actors on the stage, it's all about getting them comfortable in their own skin and willing to experiment and willing to play and discover with the final aim of communication, communication between the actor and the audience. And in other forms, it's the exact same way for me in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Getting my students in the position to open themselves up, be willing to laugh at themselves and each other, 
or with, maybe better said, with each other. And loosen up and recognize it. That's a necessary step in the learning process. I love that. Yeah, I love what you that you bring also this sense of empathy. A deep empathy is what I'm hearing. So- that is a terrific point, Sue. Absolutely. It's a terrific word. I think that um, that's been the basis for my own success. My students feel that I understand them. Yeah. And I think that I do. I, I mean, I, I understand them and I want the very best for them. Of course, I love getting paid. That's why I do it as well. But... <laughs> Um, there are lots of different fields I could go into as a teacher. And it's just, I love that experience of helping them discover and grow. I mean, when I see the aha look in their minds, when they finally make the connection between whatever, if it's as simple as a new grammatical format or how to make a sound or, you know, how to say that expression they love so much in German, <laughs> but or French, whatever my, the native speakers' languages are, um, how to say that in English and be able to have that, that success feeling. It's terrific. Yeah, that is um, fantastic. In there. It's, yeah. So how do I do that? Well, I'm guessing that many of your own listeners have their own techniques for warming up the students. Mm-hmm. And I understand fully that it's very much situation-dependent. <laughs> If I'm working with senior management, I'm not going to bring in the same techniques as I would with children. Um, I might, but I'm going to sell them differently. But (laughs) (laughs) it's, um, but yeah, loosening them up. And I mean, I laugh at myself plenty of plenty. I mean, I just, I make mistakes. I, I have to start over again and I just laugh at it and shrug it off. And the students, Recognize that not as incompetent, but as confidence. Absolutely. I think that's very important what you just said, because sometimes as the trainer, we want to go in and feel like we are the knowledge bringer. But no, if you can be authentic and vulnerable, you give them permission to make mistakes with you. Great. Well said. Well said. That's right. Yeah. I absolutely agree. And it's, they like that. And um, I mean, in theater training, my goodness, we had hours upon hours dedicated to how to listen. Really? How to listen, how to truly listen to what somebody else is saying, how? your fellow actor in this case. I mean, I, I say listen, maybe I'm using it a bit, maybe I widen it a bit more to say how to observe, how to take in what your fellow actor is giving you, whether it's physically, audially, in some wave we can't even measure any in current technology, who knows, but um, we spend hours on that, on focusing on getting out of ourselves and listening to the other person. And I do that with my students. I mean, it's just not, it's never turned off. And I recognize that they don't have the same training I do. Mm -hmm. They simply feel heard and that relaxes them. Mm. And it it creates an environment where students share things that sometimes surprise me. Of course, I wouldn't share them further, but it's, um, they really just feel very, they come into the, after a, a few lessons, after a month or so of lessons, they'll come in and they'll just already be in that great place for learning. Um, it's amazing what you're saying and what I'm hearing with you, Jim, because we, we touched briefly off uh, recording, as you said, 
about this neuro language coaching, um, which I'm doing, and it's the exact same thing. It's about relaxing the brain and empathy is the key and having, I think that's a basic human need to be heard and to feel that you've been heard and validated. And that does open up the space, a whole new space for the person to, to experiment, try language. And so whether or not you're a neuro language coach or a theater person. Well, no, I'm really interested to learn more about this. I've already yeah. made a note. <laughs> but even for people who are just classically trained TEFL trainer, it's a great insight that empathy, if you can just work on that empathy skill and have your learners feel heard, that alone will open, open new channels, I think, for the dynamics. You know, I, well, let me say it differently. I think empathy is tough, tough to learn as an adult already. Um, I'm very glad to see that there's a lot more focus starting to happen on specifically teaching children empathy. If they aren't already learning it in the home, which would be ideal, but sadly not always the case. I think um, if I were a teacher who didn't really understand what we're saying here, what do you mean listen? What do you mean empathize? Either you have it or you don't. I mean, it's, then I would say, um, first of all, you need to maybe zip it a bit. You need to shut up a bit and let your students talk more. Yeah. You find yourself doing most of the talking. You're not achieving your purpose as a teacher. Yeah. Um, let them talk more. Give them the time. Don't finish their sentences for them. Give them the time to search for it. Show them they can ask if they can't find what they're looking for, the word, the expression. Let them, or even better, and this is, this is when I know I've won, when the students are helping each other. Mm-hmm. They're asking each other for help instead of always me. Yeah. You've created um, that atmosphere of confidence and trust in each other. Yeah, that trust in that, that you're not, I'm not going to be embarrassed to ask for help from my fellows. And um, that's terrific experience but it's so listen when i say listen more i mean i mean this is not a therapy session uh, um you know the teaching should not be a therapy session sometimes it feels like it but that's not really the purpose of it (laughs) um but and yet just if i hear off the bat that one of my students who i know at this point sounds stressed or sounds distracted or sounds sad or some other thing that's not really some other condition or state of mind that's not really um, efficient for doesn't facilitate learning, mm-hmm. then I will perhaps ask a follow-up question and then try to steer it back in the direction of business or their basically give them permission, acknowledge that they're not at their best. Mm-hmm. And then give them permission to lay it to the side for 90 minutes or 45 minutes or whatever the lesson takes. That's fantastic. Um, That's a nice tip to gracefully handle by acknowledging, okay, I sense you're not feeling well today, but we can yeah, put it aside for 90 minutes and work on your English. Yeah. Often we, we don't know what to do. Sometimes we don't know what to do with somebody like that. No, it's great to have a little toolkit of fun exercises or very different exercises that will distract them. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I think it's a relief for someone who's in pain as well, whether that pain is stress, sadness, or grief or whatever. But um, 
And so, yeah, I don't want to go too deeply into that. I think that if, if you're facing that issue, if you find yourself with more than one student or, or, or facing that issue on more than the rare occasion, I would certainly recommend taking some course specifically for handling situations like that. But I just did want to mention that uh, maybe we've said enough about it, that empathy is a critical element in developing, not just, it's not about your students liking you, which feels terrific because I like them too, but it's about creating this atmosphere where people come in and you get a lot of the nonsense that normally interferes with learning out of the way. They relax, they're eager to listen, they're eager to participate. Wow, how wonderful. Half the work is done. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't, I, I agree with you. I think you're preaching to the converted, but really empathy is is the uh, no or a uh, primordial um, element yeah. to being a good trainer. But what you touched upon, you did mention, okay, you've got a toolkit, you've got tips and tricks. And that is something else I wanted to mm-hmm. pick your brain about um, because you are a seasoned trainer and you must have lots of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I bet people would love to hear some concrete things maybe you like to use in the class that... I would understand that this is probably what the listener is most hoping for and waiting for. So I will get to that. (laughs) Um, A couple of things, a couple of things that I couldn't even tell you if I learned them specifically from acting and theater, my theater training or picked them up along the way. I'm not sure, but um, certainly they do reflect the sort of learning you get also in a theatrical training program, a drama training program. Um, uh, let's start with some simple basics. Mm -hmm. I don't teach a lot of absolute beginners in Germany. It's pretty rare to find someone who has no, has had never had lessons in English Mm -hmm. in Germany, but you know, a couple of them, some places, the German struggle is with pronunciation of certain sounds that they just don't have in German. Mm -hmm. And I believe this is true of French as well. I should know that because I, I've learned some French as well, but for example, I don't think you have the TH sound, do you? Right. No, they struggle with that. And I know that um, the few French students I've had struggle with the sound, the the long and short E Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sound, making the distinction between them, which can lead rather embarrassing situations sometimes. Yes. Say say the wrong thing. Mm. And so we will, as warm up, at the beginning of a lesson, and depending on how much time I have, that will decide how much time I'll give to something like this. Mm-hmm. If I have a workshop that's longer than 90 minutes, I always start with a vocal warm-up and maybe even a little physical one. But the warm-up is more of a, um, depending on their level, it might be as simple as sort of just doing big smiles and shrinking your face. Really? In order to, because, yeah, because... This, the trick to getting this E sound out is you have to understand how to get your mouth widened for it. Yeah. Because if you're used to the French speaking French and you're, you know, your, your mouth is forward, you're not going to get a really wide E out, sound out. So um, Germans do not have trouble with those particular sounds because they're in German as well. But yeah. I would most definitely... And you, you know, you and I have a mutual friend who's French. I did an exchange with her for many, many years, and we worked on these to get a problem. Um, it's not about. It's not that she can't make the sound. It's that that she doesn't 
it's not in her muscle memory, as we would call it in theater. Okay. It's, it doesn't come automatically. She has to think about it and force it the way I originally had to think about and create the mouth shape to make the German umlaut vowels, the vowels with the diacritics out uh, when I first came here, that U and I and E. Um, oh, yeah, and that is still an issue in the French, the two and the... Yeah, how you really get... And you, can you get those nasals out? We don't really have proper nasals in English. Um, you know, lots of us make them anyway, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, so for the French, it's it's a question of just getting it into their muscle memory, and that requires repetition, repetition, repetition. And so when I have students who are struggling with that, I would do the uh, chip, cheap, cheap, chip, chip, cheap. I just stay with one sound combination. For example, um, I wrote down like a dozen of them. I, I know those that I've had them on paper. That's not so important. I mean, I, I think that any English teacher over there would be able to come up with their own. But um, I start with the simple ones with just one sound leading, one vowel leading into it. Uh, beat, bit, peat, pit, beat, bit, seep, sip, seek, sick, and so on. And so would you have them stand stand up with you and repeat them? Or yep, I would have them exaggerate them. So we do a seek, sip, and I'll, and I'll consciously walk them through. I want you to feel it. Don't just make it, but feel it. I want you to feel the stretch on the side of your mouth. Seek. Try to remember how wide is it going? Where is it? What does that feel like? And that's about getting it into their muscle memory. I love the term muscle memory because it's very visceral. It's very, it gives me a picture in my head to go, oh, okay, my muscles are working and remembering things. And that's a great thing as a learner. And afterwards, you don't need to tell them, go there. I mean, one little signal from the brain and they'll do it on their own. It's fantastic. I must tell you, I, I spent time teaching in a traditional classroom uh, in high school. And mm -hmm. I say, please take out a sheet of paper. And those French teenagers thought that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> How long did it take before you changed a leaf of paper? <laughs> um, exactly. And that's a problem where they, I mean, it's great. It's great if you could laugh about it. It's If it's distracting, it's not so great. But I mean, it is, it is fun. It can be fun, but I love that you put in an ESL setting these physical muscle-based exercises yeah. where people are really using their bodies, not just their brains, to acquire a language. And I, it's, I'm sure I, uh, it's, I find it so integral because um, perhaps French learners are, I mean, French learners of English are much more responsible and disciplined, but I know that my students do not have the discipline on average to do it over and over again at home. Of course not. So, <laughs> so you have to take that five minutes to help them repeat it. If that's the only five minutes they're going to get twice a week or once a week, it's certainly better than nothing. And it is imperative to not embarrassing yourself, yourself when you're speaking English, isn't it? Yeah. Just that little difference. It's true because you can make a, a certain pronunciation mistakes can, can be embarrassing if they're 
That's right. And you can do the tongue twister. You, you know, if, if, when you've got advanced students, you can do the tongue twister. I slit a sheet, a sheet I slit, upon a slitted sheet I sit to challenge them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so that, yeah, that's one of the warm ups, that vocal warm up, the stretch. Now, for your teachers, I would even remind them the tip stretching the face. Stretching any muscle is a relaxation technique as well. Mm, so you good. are very subtly getting them into a playful, relaxed mood by doing it. That's a great second layer to this. Okay. Wow. Um, so that I don't do, you know, typical stretches, arms up and to the side and bend and twist. And um, I, I say that I don't do it. I have found if I'm doing an intensive course for a week, mm-hmm. I will do it in the middle of the day. Brilliant. Yeah, I agree. To get people's blood going again after being sitting on their butts. Um, it's true. Yeah, I will march them around the room before, pre-COVID and we'd march around mm-hmm. the room, uh, repeating, I don't know, regular verbs or... That's right. Piece, piece of or paper. a simple song, if you know, depending on their level. Mm-hmm. Just getting that, you know, the text in their head. So that's... And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll build on, I'll add other sounds to it, like the, you know, um, the, the three or th- I'm not, I can't even think of an example at the moment off the top of my head, but um, breach and bridges or something, just adding multiple sounds before and after mm. the target sound. Same thing with the TH, do the TH and the TH I find is a lot harder for my students to grasp. It's a lot trickier of a vocal combination mm-hmm. to make. Um, and so I'll just focus on one of them at a time. I won't um, teach the unvoiced and the voiced at the same time in the same lesson. Okay. I'll just focus on the unvoiced because it is a little bit easier. Nice. I find. Um, and and go through them, just go through it. Teeth and C's. Oh, no, C is, is the voice one. I forget I said that. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then build the combinations like thirsty and three and 30 and 33. And um, okay, so that's, those are ones that muscle memory is something I took from, from theater instruction as well. Another exercise I've done that works brilliantly with children and young uh, young adults. It doesn't work brilliantly with teenagers, but it does work. And I've even used it in a few with a few adult groups if they understand and, and like each other. And that is uh, a combination of word exercise, uh, word association and charades. Charade. I'll say um, things you find in a forest. And, they and one to... of them, and they have to create it. They have to create it physically, which, as I said, it works terrific if you're working with young people. They have to create a tree. And the other one can't just think of another thing you could find in a forest, but they have to think of something that is also connected to a tree, whether so... it's a bird or a leaf or a root or whatever they think of. Um, so it's first the word all, association. Go ahead. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Do that. Do you mean that you give the theme things mm-hmm. the forest? They have to come up with. Okay, the word is going to be tree. 
So they're maybe in a team against... Well, them. no, this is the nice thing. Actually, I do it one-on-one. I just go around in a circle. They don't even have to necessarily know the word that they're trying to, of the thing they're trying to create. So it works for students of a very low level who don't even have the vocabulary to know the word tree, for example. I'll explain later. I, I make the exercise a lot more complicated when I work with more mature students. But, um, and we just try to get the word tree. And of course, you got to note it down to make sure everyone captures the word tree. And then the next one often thinks of bird, for example. And so, no, so the person sitting next to them is now on, or the person who gets it, who guessed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I'll use the exercise a lot in the beginning when, I, when I'm teaching basic, very, very basic vocabulary to low-level learners. And I'll see what kind of works best. Like, are there people who aren't really guessing? In that case, then I'll go in the circle one after another to make sure everyone participates. And so they're physically, they, they stand up and act like yep, a tree. Exactly. They stand up and make a tree and someone, maybe the, maybe the kids recognize it, but they don't know the word. And some, if, if no one can get it, I will, depending on how much experience I think they are exposure they might've had, I'll give them hints okay. like rhymes with me, or I mean, sounds like me, mm-hmm. um, or I'll just give it to them. Mm-hmm. A tree, what a wonderful word, what a wonderful tree. Right. What kind of things do you find in a tree? Or what's, you know, um, and when I'm working with, when I've done the exercise with teenagers, I'll pick a lot more complex topic, like, and cooler topic, like uh, things you associate with a rock star, with a rap star, uh-huh. with a movie star, with a video game. Oh, okay. So um, console and... Yeah, exactly. Console and, and controller and monitor. And they could, of course, go into specific games. First-person shooter. I mean, it's not the nicest word to learn, but <laughs> yeah. uh, if you want to have a conversation about modern issues, you sort of need it. Yeah. Um, and they get into it. I mean, as, as long as they're tied into the topic they're fine with the doing the physicality and laughing at themselves and being silly and Uh, teenagers, as you know, will, will go out of their way to be even sillier to to pick the most difficult physical thing to, to recreate. (laughs) That sounds really, really fun. And, and even your inciting interest in the word, because once everyone's so excited by the guy doing the funny tree that they never expected to see standing there like that, then everyone wants to know, what is that word after all? And then, yes. Yeah, that's, and the, you've got it. You've got the association. You've got the word, the association, and the context mm-hmm. all tied together. You basically have your neural link in place from the start. Fantastic. I mean, it's, it, it circumvents. I don't know what, you, what you're learning in the neural linguistic training, but I remember you know, this concept of having to repeat a word three times or seven times or 12 times or repeat the word and the definition and in order to actually get it into your long-term memory. Right. And this one is creating neural links on the spot. Because it's physical. Yes. Exactly. Because it's physical and related to each other. And it's. Oh yeah. Yeah. The association. There is, there's yeah. this. It's true. We did learn this, that there's a research study. Right. You're basically mind mapping physically instead yeah. of putting it on a board. Fantastic. Fantastic. So I find that to be a very powerful exercise also taken from 
I mean, the the idea of improvisation is, of course, something that's a, a, a basic tenet of of theater. I think um, I'm 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 not sure. I'm I'm not really paying too much attention to the time. I do want to. There's one point I definitely want to get across in terms of tying in theater with language training, mm -hmm. and that is that the A uh, and uh, and O, the Alpha and Omega of theater is communication. What am I trying to say? Who is my audience and what do I want to leave them with? What do I want them to understand? What impact do I want to have on them? And this is integral to more advanced skill sets like presentation, like sales, even telephoning in English you know, in principle, but I mean, pre presentation skills are something it's almost impossible to do without nowadays, if you want to achieve a certain success in the modern business world. And there's too, to my mind, there's simply too much emphasis on the, what do I do? How do I say it? How do I present it? How do I, how do I um, sell myself? and not enough on, is this going to have the impact I want on the audience? Mm. Um, what do I want to leave them with? What's their takeaway? To use a nice modern jargon, <laughs> what is their takeaway? What is, how do I want them to feel about the information? And I think if you start from the very beginning with your audience in mind, you cannot make a bad decision because you've been an audience yourself. You can imagine what your audience knows and what they don't know. And you can, and it's such an easy filter. Is this word appropriate or is it too jargony or is it too complicated? I mean, I know I've got a fantastic vocabulary. I know lots of really, lots of $5 words like parsimony and irreparable and irrefutable and ubiquitous. But if I have a non-native audience, what's the point? You know, they're not going to get it. So I can easily compare, are they going to know what the AGBs are? If I use that word, the GT and C's and the FGNOs and all of these three-letter or four-letter acronyms I use in my office place. Great shortcuts within my company, but is my audience outside the company? Are they going to know them? Do I have to use other words? Um, am I boring them? Mm -hmm. If I'm boring, if I'm asking myself, Am I boring them? I've com obviously completely disconnected from my audience and I'm in my own head. And this comes back to, I'm sorry, I'm not being exactly linear with this delivery here. Uh, I'm not even following my own advice. I, um, this comes back to the confidence issue. If I'm focused on my audience, I don't have any time to worry about what I look like or what I sound like, or am I, how am I doing? Fabulous points all, Jim. My goodness, I could listen to you all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, focus on exactly what impact do I want? If I want them to love it, then A, I know I've got to love it. Otherwise, there's no, I mean, I have to authentically love it or be able to pretend I do really well. Um, otherwise, it's just not going to work. If I want them, if I want to change their mind, which as every listener will know, is probably the most difficult thing you can do, change someone's mind. Yeah. I mean, if that's secretly what they want and they're not admitting it, that's a different thing, but literally change their mind. I mean, I must I have to know 
I need to approach them on the cognitive level. The information I give has to be accurate and convincing. And the effective level, it has to be emotional and appealing. And they got to want it. They got to feel the benefit of that change of mind, of that different opinion. Um, I got to hit them on all of those. And, you know, the bit of the hold handing everything, but that's, that's a bit more too advanced for this particular podcast. But in any case, all I want, all I want to say is that that was a theatrical technique I brought over immediately from the start. What impact am I having on my, on my learners and what impact when they're preparing a presentation, are they having on me as the listener or on the imagined audience, the future audience projected one. Um, I will point out, I also was in discovered Toastmasters back in 92 and was there for 12 years. And I thought it was a brilliant for the money, for the investment, a brilliant uh, uh, program for developing yourself Absolutely. little by little, slowly. It's not the best one. If you're in a, in a rush, mm-hmm. then you should fork over the big bucks that you really pay the money to, <laughs> to take the Dale Carnegie or something a bit more modern. But, um, if you got the time, what a terrific way. You're nodding. I think you're familiar with it as well, aren't you? As a matter of fact, it's Toastmasters, for the, some of you may not be aware, it's a public speaking support group, for lack of a better word. It's a program. It's international, and you find them in, in many, many cities across the world. And you join. Paris has a couple. I don't know if, you're, if your local town has one or not. <laughs> I was a member. Um, the year I got pregnant, so I or just before, so I was a short-lived member, but I did enjoy it tremendously, and I saw the incredible transformation in many people in their careers and their personas. And I, bringing it back to training, I do tell my higher-level people, absolutely, if they're very serious about improving their English and making an impact on their career, I tell all of them to check out Toastmasters because there's one or two bilingual groups in Paris. And, you know, the Toastmasters do not want people coming to practice, quote unquote, English, but they welcome people who are bilingual and who may want to improve. You do have to have a certain level, but I absolutely recommend it. I think as a trainer, it's great for us, but as a learner as well, if they're strong enough to do it, I couldn't recommend it enough. That's right. And what a terrific way to build your confidence, Mm -hmm. I would say. Um, yeah. yeah, confidence was that. That was one other thing. I mean, Jim, I'm, <clears throat> all of the things you've been mentioning already are so phenomenal. I could dive deeper into each one. Um, so we've talked about uh, pronunciation. I'm sure we could talk hours on that. We've talked about, you know, the impact, the communication. And that brings a whole other layer that many trainers might not be thinking of when they come in to step into the training room. Um but also the confidence, that's the number one issue I find as a trainer with French learners. Um, and because so many of them have been damaged in the school system, I hate to say it, but they come out terrorized. And so confidence is huge. So you mentioned Toastmasters. Um, do you have any other? I just, I mean, you're talking about, we're talking about uh an actual kind of trauma here. There's no, there's no question about it. There's no bones to pick about it. It is true. Mm-hmm. Um, it isn't as common, I would say, over here, but and yet, 
I have a student right now who's who's experience and his and is still so fresh in his head from years before that it is in his way it's in, it's like a, a third participant in the room um and like so many things that takes patience the empathy is a big part of it i mean they have to trust you they have to trust that you're not going to make them feel worse mm-hmm. and you really can't do anything to make them feel i mean you shouldn't you're not allowed to do anything to make them feel worse. Um, praise. You have to, a lot of trainers don't use much praise. I mean, you, you might get a, that's right, or correct out of us. Mm-hmm. But enthusiasm, enthusiasm for someone making a discovery or finally getting something correct. I think there's room for a lot more of that. And yes, for many adults, it can feel a little artificial to praise other adults. Like, oh my God, if I praise you, it means that I'm setting myself above you. I'm so much more better or special or whatever. Um, or I'm trying to get something out of you and it comes across as very sycophantic or something or manipulative. But that's because it's not authentic then. If I'm empathizing with my students, if I truly get excited to see them improve, to make a discovery, to say something correct for the first time ever. It's not inauthentic for me to be like, that's it. Exactly. Do it one more time. Yes. Oh, it's music to my ears. One more time. Um, ah, they, they're glowing with pride Yeah. in situations like that. And they need, and people, well, all of us need a bit of that in our lives, but people who are facing low-level or high-level trauma need even more of it. I mean, they just, they're, they're, they, they've got nothing there to buoy themselves up with. So each of those gives them a kind of anchor to be like, oh, God, it was such a good feeling last week. I'm not an idiot. I'm not useless. It's not use, pointless to try to take this lesson because I will never learn English. My teachers told me so. My parents told me so. My friends told me so, whatever. Um... So be more generous with authentic praise. Mm-hmm. And if it isn't authentic, leave it out. Forget it. Because that just does more damage than it Yeah, they'll feel it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. As a trainer, but if you can. If you can. If it's, if you, if it's inauthentic for you to actually say something, then be willing to smile more. It, Enjoy for yourself as a teacher, your students' progress. How marvelous. Yeah. That means you're making a difference in someone's life. I mean, it's marvelous. So enjoy it and smile. Yeah. Um, just, you know, give them something to help. So in confidence, that's, and, a, and another thing is simply don't try. If you're, if you're dealing with a mixed group, mm-hmm. that's one thing because it's pretty challenging to have people who are very confident and, and I say very confident in the sense that maybe they're really good already or more likely they just are fine about making a mistake or making an idiot of themselves in class. They can laugh about it and they're, and it doesn't impact their ego. Um, and then people who aren't, who can't do that, that's pretty tough in a classroom. Yeah. But if you can get the less confident on their own, um, in a group, 
take your time. Don't, don't demand the same amount of progress, you know, and just, um, and check in a lot more. Mm-hmm. I find in my own lessons, mm-hmm. I find my students or my teachers, excuse me, don't check in enough. I mean, when I say check in, excuse me, that's not the right phrase. What I mean by that is let's repeat, you know, let's go back and, and check that I still have all the present tense conjugations for all three friggin' verb endings in French. <laughs> um, just because I had them back then when we did the, le- the, the unit or units doesn't mean I still have them now when we're trying to do the passé composé or whatever. Go back and do more repetition. Remind them and then remind them what they've just done. You still got it. You still remember how to do. Okay, we don't have that in English, but you know, you're still remembering to put the S after he, she, it. Yeah. You know, great. Mm-hmm. Great. Noticing, um, um, noticing a correct use of language is, I've heard this the statistic, a study, uh, you know, that not just praise, but yeah, praising something correct is better or more impactful than correcting an error. So why not say, look at you, you still got the S. Great. Good term. That's a good term. That's right. Oh. I find myself. And if I have, and this is, might be a nice tip for your students who have mixed groups. Mm-hmm. I find myself having to use praise as a way to acknowledge those who are quite, quite a bit better um, and, and yet are still participating in the group. So I'll say, you know, we'll, we'll be having a conversation when you're practicing fluency and product, language production, because I've got students who are you know, strong enough to do that, they'll make a gorgeous expression in French and English, excuse me, (laughs) you know, or they'll just build quite a complex sentence in English and like, wow. Okay. Um, but they're all together in a group, even though that's not the most efficient for language learning, if they're together for team building or whatever, because they're all in the same department. Um, then I'll be saying now, you know, Johan just used, a wonderful expression that we haven't covered yet. Nice. And kind of capture that and, you know, maybe repeat it. I won't make it, it's not the point of my lesson at the moment. So I don't suddenly turn the lesson into let's analyze this expression. I'll just capture it, make a note of it for myself and later on. And then Johan gets yet another little pat on the back a month later when we come back to that expression because it fits my lesson plan. Um, so it's, that's a nice way. And of course, you know, there's nothing wrong with praising people who are very low level, who are getting it. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, I often say that's exactly right. Or, you know, um, I understood every word of that sentence. I think that's great. I think this is really helpful, Jim, for other trainers to hear even just a simple thing like what you're saying, a concrete, how do you say it? How do you praise? Because uh-huh. we all are in our own little bubble. We don't hear other trainers that often. I might say that's correct. And you say, you know, it's great to hear what you're saying. So we'd love to hear. Yeah, that's a good point. It's true. We don't often get to hear how other people are doing 
they might be doing the same thing, but how, <laughs> what do you say? What is, um, no, it's, I, well, you know what? My success speaks for itself. My students ask for me back. So I, I, I know that I'm on the right track. I still like to learn new methodologies, but I really like to get on, you know, I really feel very good that I'm on the right track with them. And unlike perhaps earlier in my career, I feel like their progress is my proof. That's enough. Um, it's too easy for teachers to, to fall into this trap of becoming entertainers alone and not feeling like they're making any impact. And this is beautiful. What I love what you brought to the table today is you are an entertainer, truly. You're a trained, educated entertainer, yet you're using those skills coupled with empathy to bring progress to these people. It's not the gym show, although I know you personally. I know I could sit and listen to you all evening or like, you know, in a social <laughs> Oh, you're right. I know I could keep them on at the end of their edge of their seats for 90 minutes. I just wouldn't really learn much. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're, you're putting your skill in the service. And maybe this is just even a nice jump off point for learners or trainers listening to think, okay, how can I, like, maybe they know they have that charisma. They know they have that great storytelling ability, but how can they put a little more? Right. How do you, how, yeah. How do you channel it? How do you channel it to make it effective for the learning environment? Yeah. This has been fabulous. This has been wonderful, Sue. I'm so glad you had me on. I'm delighted. Do you have time for <laughs> one more little question? And of course. Mm -hmm. So since we are now in the age of Zoom and everybody on camera, do you have any tips? This is not theater. I know you do theater. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips um, to make your lessons more compelling or your visual <laughs> even visually appearing. I will be honest with you. I know that there are a lot of tools available for teaching online, and I am woefully ignorant okay. about many of them. I simply use Zoom or Skype for Business or Web Exchange or whatever it's called, um, or Microsoft Teams. I think all four of those I use during the week. Um, I So I don't take advantage of a lot of these interactive things, which I think are very useful when your participants are all over the place. Mm -hmm. my, um, I, uh, my challenge, my challenge I recognized rather early is, how do you make a lesson effective mm -hmm. when it's when the this when the format really responds best to I can't think of what we called it in English, but in German we say frontal unterricht to this teacher to student. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm gesturing even though this is a podcast. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Me to the student. Um, and it's so difficult to get a conversation going, a natural paced conversation going between the participants. Um, and so I am finding that I'm using this time, praying that it won't last more than another year, hopefully not even that much. Um, I'm finding this time to focus a lot more 
on their written skills than their speaking skills. The groups that I have, with, with only one exception, they started before COVID began. So they know each other in person and we've had the benefit of in-classroom in training. Um, the exception, I've got another group that started afterwards and they actually quite conveniently asked for a focus on writing and I discovered how much more effective that is. Doing the writing online. Yes. So that, no, well, not literally writing online, but focusing on, on their written skills online. So preparing exercises for them to do during the week. And then using that week too, and this is, ties in exactly to what you said, Sue, a lot more, there's a lot more of praising what was done well mm-hmm. than there is pointing out errors. Now, individually, I might send people an email saying, we don't really say that, that's not understandable in English with some corrections. And then I'll do 15 minutes of, here are some of the mistakes that were made without anonymously, without mentioning who, that I think we could all benefit from understanding how to improve them, because I think they're quite common. But then another 15 minutes of, I just want to point out some wonderful things that were said and expressions that were used to get the point across. And, um, and students will always be curious about why or what I like about that or hmm. why that's so effective. And again, now it comes right back to the focusing on your reader, on your audience, on your listener. So um, <clears throat> that might just be me. I mean, it, I might be really dropping the ball by not trying to get onto these platforms that allow a lot more of interactivity and everyone can write on them and stuff. I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, or if you use them. Well, we primarily use Zoom, and I, I know there are a lot <clears throat> you can do i use the whiteboard and i show videos and have them listen to audios i wouldn't say i'm doing anything extravagant or extraordinary um but what i wanted to get to with that question also was even more of the theatrical tips but i'm gonna if i may give you some feedback jim which i thoroughly appreciate and i want to say it here because i find trainers um or anybody on zoom we forget to look in the camera <laughs> To give the person the feeling that you're looking at them. Because I know that sometimes you're probably not looking at me, but you're consciously looking at your camera because you know you're giving me the impression. And I do have the impression I'm talking with you. And more often than not, and I see myself doing it too, we're all looking at ourselves in a little screen up on our screen. Oh, God, no. Don't do that. Make that, that's my tip. Never do that. Do that, exactly. And you may be looking <laughs> left or the right, or, or you may be looking at them, but your, your screen is shifted a bit, or your camera, whatever. So I noticed that in observing, we did a little round of observing our, our trainers for quality control, and it is distracting, and it's, it, it creates a cutoff from your learner, and oh, yeah. it feels like, are they even The eyes. The eyes say it all, and even more so now, don't they? I yep. mean, they're the they're the the transmitter. And perhaps one thing to point out, and I think I brought this benefit, especially through my theater training. My pronunciation, or my excuse me, my enunciation, mm-hmm. is pretty badass. <laughs> I hope I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> 
I very, very seldom ever hear the word, what was that? I didn't understand what you said. Um, and when it comes to relying on a microphone to get our words across to, the, to our audience, you can barely over enunciate. It can be done, but you just really, you can't carry tension up here and around the mouth. You just can't. I, so before every single day of lessons, I'm doing my, my, my yawns, my rolls, lip rolls, my tongue rolls. Really? Get rid of tension. Yes, every single. Also, even if I have in-person lessons, I do them because I have to drive to them. I'm doing them in the car. Really? Um, I want, life is already difficult enough. I really don't want to create unnecessary obstruction and blockade in communication. So I warm myself up so that I don't have to focus on it now when I'm ha- when we're having this podcast. The last thing I want is you hearing tension in my throat or raspiness in my throat because my voice, my throat isn't clear or whatever. I don't want any of those effects. Um, so before we had our podcast, I was walking around my office doing the entertaining my dog. Uh, <laughs> yes, I mean, that's something I am so sure that our fellow trainers hadn't thought of to do, you know, lip rolls or how everybody wouldn't even know what to do. The, the raspberry, <laughs> um, whatever. <laughs> do, do, oh my goodness, yeah, get all that stuff out of the way that can be gotten away out of the way in seconds. You don't need makes a minute in the delivery. Yeah. And on, and, and on Zoom, all the better because no one, but no one likes an awful voice. Yeah. Yeah, I voice is a big part, doesn't it? Um, you can follow along with someone or kind of lose it. And you've, what I love, your voice is obviously it's trained so melodic and oh. it flows and it goes up and down and it's just a pleasure to listen to. Um, Thank you. Yeah, that's I will. I mean, agree. That is the training. That is the that is the theatrical training. But you have a beautiful voice. But for us everyday trainers who are not classically trained, it's a nice thought you're leaving us with. Like, hmm, maybe some kind of classical acting voice warm ups could be an, an idea. And I'm sure we can find those on YouTube somewhere. You so can, and you so can. All you really want, I say, all. You simply want to look for those exercises that will get this whole thing between your chest and your mouth and your lips warmed up. And that probably means some stretching, some humming. Even if you don't look in, if, if you don't manage to find time to look on YouTube before your next lesson, if you feel, if you wake up too late <laughs> and have no one to talk to before your lesson, then hum and close your lips together not push them together, but just let them close and and let it kind of roll around. And it's absolutely relaxing for the, it's relaxing for this upper part, the mouth to the back of the mouth, and it's engaging for the lower part down to the larynx, down to your vocal cords. And uh, you will automatically sound as if you've been up for a few hours okay you know working or interacting nobody will know you just got out of bed (laughs) 
Jim. Okay. Use this has been a blast. This has been so much fun. May we call upon you another time? I'm sure. I hope you will. I hope you will. The questions you sent ahead of time, really, even though I made meticulous notes and never looked more than once, um, it was really, really, very helpful. You guys do a professional job, and I... Thank you. Thank you. Well, we are delighted, and I'm especially delighted to have reason to chat with you, And but it, this has been enriching. I hope it will be inspiring to our listeners to, it's just so infectious to hear somebody who loves what we do, as I do. And it, it does kind of give you that little boost of like, yeah, it's fun. We have a great job, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. We are, it's, it's, I kind of hate the word blessing, but it is kind of a blessing. It's kind of a, a, a wonder that we get to be with people like the way, the way that we do that they open themselves up for us and trust us to get them through something awkward, embarrassing. I would have a little ask for your listeners. Should they want more? Yes, I would please. love to hear what their specific questions are about what we talked about. I hope they'll get a hold of you. And um, Okay. That's, you hear that? That is a call out to everybody listening. Um, please send us questions. We'll make sure Jim gets them. Jim Fetterplace, who is Frankfurt, Germany area. And um, you, once COVID finishes, you will be performing again? Yes, I will be performing again in May. The next show that I'm in has been postponed literally from last May, oh. multiple times to the coming May, fingers crossed. The and then, uh, yes, and then in the fall again. Can you tell us some of the venues you perform at? The there are several theaters in Frankfurt that you perform at. There are the the show that I am going to do in May is destined to go up at the Catacomba, like Catacomb, but in German. And if it happens, we'll be taken to Brussels, Antwerp. Yeah. We'll taken to a theater festival in Belgium, but I cannot think of where at the moment. Uh, and then in the Internationales Theater. The Theater, the International Theater, Theater International, in Frankfurt in the fall. And that is a show that I have written, adapted from one of my favorite authors, the female author, Beth Brandt, Mohawk Indian. Wow. Um, so this year could be very, very exciting for me theatrically. And if not, then next year. Uh, brilliant. Well, we'll be so... <laughs> On and very excited to see what you get up to and very, very excited to talk to you again. Really. Would love I would love that. I would love that. Thanks so much for getting in touch. I hope we have a chance to talk even after the podcast is over. Yes. <laughs> and thank you listeners for uh, giving us your attention. Yes. I think you're supposed to say that, but I'm going to say it for you anyway. Oh, good. <laughs> he was my boss at one time. <laughs> Thanks for joining us in the Business Class ESL Break Room, the podcast designed to bring business English trainers useful ideas, inspiration, and conversation that motivates. Follow us on Instagram at business underscore class underscore language and subscribe to the ESL Break Room playlist on Spotify, Deezer, or Apple Music for new episodes. See you next time. <laughs>